We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And as we continue Westbrook Week, today we're going to discuss his shooting. In yesterday's episode, we talked about his playmaking and his shot creation that's based off of his ability to attack the basket and all of the experience and both the ability, but also the know-how that he possesses in doing that. But when I first heard the Westbrook rumors... I laughed at the idea because, Darius, the the notion of the Lakers, we shot under 30% in the playoffs this season. And the idea was Lakers need to improve as shooters. They need to improve their outside shooting. And then we trade for Russell Westbrook, right? One of the lowest percentage high-volume three-point shooters of all time. And I laughed because there's a certain – Mike, you always talk about the idea of how LeBron will sometimes reject the premise of a question. This is very obviously the Lakers front office rejecting the premise on some level, D, that the Lakers needed more shooting. Now, mind you, we made other acquisitions that did address that, but this is the most important one, man. He's you know he's making over $40 million. He is the third star, the third guy. But the conventional wisdom is there for a reason. All three of our stars now, one of the weaker parts of their offensive games is their jumper. That's something we talked about last year about LeBron and AD. The third guy that we added, that's the weakest part of his game, right? He's got a weaker jumper than either guy does. So how do you gauge that, right? This idea that what are the Lakers valuing? How do they look at it? And how do you gauge that versus the conventional wisdom of you need to be able to shoot in at, at a certain level at this it, to be able to succeed in the NBA? Before I get to your questions, could I just back up and say that the idea of Westbrook as a shooter, the other rumor was that the Lakers are going to try to trade for Buddy Heald, right? So I don't expect you guys to comment about those specific rumors, but the idea of going from Buddy Heald to Russell Westbrook, it was like, oh my goodness, there's no... There's no wider range in terms of opposite ends of the spectrum when you're talking about shooters and how they might fit onto the Lakers roster than those two players. 
In terms of Russ, though, yeah, the conventional wisdom is there for a reason. It's because he's not a good shooter. And not only is he not a good shooter, he sort of refuses to believe it. There's like a dissonance that exists within his own game where he's like, okay, well, you're not guarding me. I don't care the reason why you're not guarding me. Uh, This is the shot that's open. I'm going to shoot it. It's like you see the progression in logic in that's playing out in these possessions. But Mike, for me, those possessions are constantly looked at as wins for the defense, right? Anytime Westbrook decides he's going to pull up and shoot a jumper, whether it's from three or from the mid range, that's a win for the defense. And I think as much as we are going to talk about Westbrook shooting, I think the idea is mostly how can the Lakers figure out a way to navigate that exact scenario where the defense wants this guy to do this thing. He's not going to eliminate this thing from his game entirely, right? That's just not going to happen. And so how do the Lakers navigate that? To me, that's like the biggest question of the Lakers' offensive perspective heading into this season, or for me at least. Do you see it the same way, or am I exaggerating this a bit? Like, where do you stand with this? So many questions about the shooting of Russell Westbrook. Good thing we've got a whole pod for it, right? And (laughs) the first element of it, so just a basic thing in the NBA, right? When you're open... You have to shoot. That's what that's kind of the collective wisdom in what because otherwise, if you don't shoot when you're wide open, then your, your team is going to have to settle for a worse shot. So we we get to the point where if you have a guy that's out there that just won't shoot the ball, uh, whether or not there's a 30 percent chance like there is with Westbrook from three, for example, of going in that that's going to screw you up, too. So that's the Ben is, Simmons idea. Right, Mike? Right. Like, and and this is something in your whole like shooting is overrated mantra, Mike, that that's like the delineation point you've said in the past is so long as you are shooting and somewhat of a threat, that's like you can live with that if you're providing other things. It just can't be like a Ben Simmons type situation where you're just not going to shoot at all. Well, so so now I will make the here's though my concern, right? So I'll make the I'll make the argument that mm-hmm. I don't usually have to make because the Lakers, for the most part, in the backcourt have had guys, even including Rondo even including Caruso, not outstanding shooters, but you know they were closer to 35% than they were to 30%. So there's a point of no return. There's a, there's a point where whatever, and I don't know the exact number, but is it maybe 30% is about what it is, right? So if you're not hitting, at, and this gets to kind of um, like EFG to a certain extent, like effective field goal percentage, there's a certain number where the margins are really going to hurt you if you keep taking yeah. X amount of shots and and Rusk walks right close to that line. He's oh, he crosses, very, that, he crosses uh, that line, Mike. Well, like, he, so he, he has, he, so he does cross the line, but, but I'm saying like in terms of what his overall value to the offense is, got you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for, from a pure shooting standpoint, yes, but this is where, when you start to break down his shot profile and you know, just anybody can go to NBA.com and like click over to the, the stats and the shooting splits most uh, most spots on the floor, he's pretty good. It, like including from the mid range. So let me hold off on that for now, though. I'm, I'm sure we'll break it down as we get a little bit further. But this is the conundrum, Pete. That is Westbrook in the shooting, and you can't have somebody. You can't have him just not taking threes at all. 
but you also have to get to the point where on days that it's not going, you know, then instead of shooting eight, maybe you shoot three just to keep the defense somewhat honest. So, so the balance has to get better. And that's the part where I think that it can, given the fact that who his teammates are now and given that LeBron's out there and given that every time he goes into a huddle, there's LeBron, but that didn't necessarily work when it was Kevin Durant. And but maybe LeBron and KD at that stage are different types of players and personas. So let's kick it back to you <laughs> to pull some of that out. And we'll we'll touch on several of the other points that Darius and I jumped around to. Yeah, I think it's important to distinguish between his pull up jumpers and his catch and shoot jumpers. If you go back for even several years, his catch and shoot numbers are like when he's open and he has a good shot, he's making those to the low to mid 30s consistently. And that translates even into the playoffs over the course of years. It's his pull up jumpers. He's there. There are certain there are several elements to his jumper that have meant that he was never going to have that type of range on his jumper. He shoots too hard of a ball. There's too much velocity on it for him to have consistent three-point range on his pull-up. And like he varies his speed on his dribble pickup, on his, you know, on his shot attempts. But he for almost every season, he's taking no for for every season. For every season, he's taking two to three times the number of pull-up threes as the number of catch and shoot threes. These pull-up threes are coming in lineups where he's the primary ball handler. Somebody goes under a ball screen on the pick and roll. And this, from a functional perspective with the Lakers offense, is one of the things I want to ask you about, D, regarding pick and roll coverages. But when Russell Westbrook gets the threes that you're supposed to be taking, he's fine at them. He's a little bit below average, but he's always been a high 20s, low 30s, three-point shooter on high volume because he's taking so many pull-up three attempts. And one of the big parts of this season and, and his shooting and how it fits in is going to be like, it's a matter of subtraction rather than adding or doing anything different or being a different guy. That when the guy goes under the screen, maybe we post up AD, maybe we reverse the ball on this possession. Because a lot of his, a lot of the possessions in which he's taking these shots are when a Bradley Beal is not on the floor. It's when a James Harden isn't on the floor or, you know, all, going all the way back to OKC and Paul George. These are possessions where he's the shot creator and the weaknesses in him being the only shot creator out there and they go under the screen. Well, somebody still has to create the shot. And a lot of times, D, that is that thought process that you were talking about that he goes through. That's what's happening there. It's like, what, am I going to reverse the ball to to Davis Bertans and ask him to go go one-on-one against his guy? It's not going to happen. And so that is simply reducing the number of attempts that he shoots in that respect. If he's taking regular threes and and good shots he's good enough at those to where i'm after watching tape i'm not as worried about this as i was when we made the trade yeah the distinct making the distinction between catch and shoot threes and pull up threes is super important i think with any player right because most players are not good at pull up threes like you know steph curry is right right Game. and the guys Game. who are good at it those are that's gold right and we've got a couple of guys who are capable Wayne Ellington Malik Monk we got a couple of guys but those guys are rare yeah and the thing is though is that those guys are low usage players right and so the high usage players who are also high volume three-point shooters 
who are also high percentage three three point shooters. Those guys are in the upper right hand quadrant of shooters across the league, right? Those are the guys who are their shooting is a foundational part of the team's offense. Westbrook is never going to be that player. And the question for me is more the point that you brought up, which I think is super important, is how many lineups are there foundational actions that do not involve him being the guy who has to be the primary shot shot creator? And that, to me, comes down to lineup construction. And what are the foundational actions of those lineups that he's a part of that will allow him to do less pull-up shooting? And, and on top of that, Mike, this is where I think the, the open questions need to probably be answered before we actually give him the benefit of the doubt is, will he change? Will he, in his what, what in possession? Change? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, his in possession decision-making mm-hmm. is, to me, the most important aspect of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he's going to have to turn shots down that he has consistently taken year after year after year after year that he's been in the league and to over the last four years, like diminishing success. Right. There was a point in time where the volume in which he was shooting was probably still detrimental, but he was like a good enough shooter to say, "Okay, we'll live with those. Right. That's gone now. Like he's he's past that point where you can capably where you can reasonably say, like, okay, well, we'll live with these. Right. Like, no, the volume needs to be the dial needs to be turned down. And turning that dial down is going to be a function of a lot of different things. Right. It's going to be who he's on the floor with. It's going to be what types of sets the team runs, like how reliant are they on a Russell Westbrook pick and roll with him as the ball handler in order to generate good offense. The bigger part of that, Mike, is, is he just going to decide, hey, I'm not going to shoot these? And I think he can do that, but I got to see it over the course of a full season. And And I'm I'm not there yet. I'm not there either. And I'm not, I'm actually not going to expect that that happens uh, maybe a little, but he, I think that Russell Westbrook is a very forceful personality, no breaking news there. And it just seems harder for whether it's Frank Vogel or even LeBron to, you know, to say, Hey, take fewer of those shots. And I I don't know, because wouldn't you think that that would have happened in one of these other locker rooms in the last couple of years at some point? And I don't know, he, Russ is such a, but I think this is where you just have to, to some extent, accept him for what he's been and, and like, not just hope that things are going to change. And Darius, that's the point that you've been on since we've been starting to talk about Westbrook. But I don't know, like Pete, he he has to. There's some part of that that you would think if the Lakers are going to be at their absolute best, then some of that has to change from him. It's just hard to envision it happening. And that's where and that's the whole conundrum. I still think that there's he brings more to the table than not. Like, let me give you one stat before you come back on that. So he took last year, he took 392 shots within five feet. And if you go out to eight feet, 511. So threes, or, or at least from, you know, from 20, let's see, 20, 20 to 24 feet, 49, 25 to 29, 219. 
So like the beauty of Russ, when we're talking about shooting is that he still is going to get to the basket more than anywhere else. And that is still the bulk of where the attempts are from. But I just him pulling the trigger a lot less Pete than what he's done in the way that he's played for basically his whole life. I, I I'm struggling to find that up until the point that I see it. And then I'm like, wow, that's amazing. He's made, he's made this big adjustment. I'm just not, I'm just not going to, going to tell myself that it's for sure happening for sure nor should you that is i'm in a believe it when i see it as well but i also think that a certain amount of that will happen naturally because there's another primary ball head and there's a certain gravitas to lebron right of a there's a certain give me the ball that he goes back for the ball in in the backcourt or he's calling for it on a hit ahead i have concerns about what Russ's defense. We will talk about that in a different pod. But from watching the tape, this was the one element of his game that I was the most encouraged by in that like the reasons why he's taking certain shots and the situations in which he's taking them, I see just the natural function of there being LeBron out on the court, D, that like him being there, it's not a matter of like, Russell Westbrook, you do something differently than you've ever done it before. It's not a matter of that. It's just the, the the touches and the running. It's different from Harden in the res, the respect that LeBron can shift from one role to another, and and so D that idea that those touches are going to be split, I think, mitigates this idea of like Russ turning into this completely different player. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because his role as a shooter and where the issues are, it's not just. It's not just he takes a lot of shots. It's that the defense wants him to take those shots. He will take those shots, and the defense treats him a certain way, right? And so there's a compound effect that comes with his shooting that I'm very interested in seeing how the Lakers overcome that if they can't overcome it at all, right? And so in the, hey, maybe a leopard will change his spots approach a little bit, right? So to argue against myself, Russ basically turned into a center in the stretch of the season that he played for Houston after they traded Clint Capella. And he basically cut out all of his three pointers and he was, I'm getting to the rim all of the damn time mode. And he looked like one of the top, I don't know, 20, 25 players in the league, which is an extremely valuable player. Right. He was getting I don't want to say he was getting MVP buzz, but he was getting like, hey, he could make one of the three all NBA teams buzz. And that that puts you into the real upper echelon of the league. Like that's a you're one of the top 15 guys. Right. Which basically means you're a top end starter in the league. Right. And so. The idea of pairing him with LeBron, Pete, I think that that matters. I think that there is a natural deference that I think comes with playing with with LeBron. And I've seen every player that's played with LeBron do that. Every single player. I have yet to see a player who is so ingrained and so I believe in myself this much that I also that I believe in myself almost more than I believe in you, LeBron James. Like even Kyrie was probably the player who tested that the most. And those were still LeBron's teams. Right. And everything was almost still operating on on LeBron's terms. The idea, too, that we we talked about this the last pod when it came to 
Russ's playmaking, but pairing him with Anthony Davis, I think also matters a fair amount because that is another shot creator who creates shots from a, from a different spot on the floor than what a perimeter based player does. And that is not something that Russ has had in his entire career. That, that player template, he has not played with that player, right? Like KD has been, KD is, an amazing player he is not a oh yeah let's throw it to let's throw it to him or let's post him up like six eight ten times a game the way that the lakers have played anthony davis under frank vogel right and so there is a there is a reformatting of the offense that i think can help take the ball out of Russ's hands in ways that those pull-up jumpers aren't as prevalent. That's just not to say, though, that he's not going to be put in ball-handling situations where the defense is playing him in a certain way where one of the first things that comes to his mind is, hey, the pull-up jumper is the thing that's here. I should take that shot. And that's why I go back to in-play decision-making and scheme and what are the Lakers prioritizing and what is their focus. Let's take a quick break. I want to go further into that idea of of scheme because I think that there's a commonality between LeBron and Russ that actually may work against the Lakers. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and discuss more of the team concepts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think we're going to see a lot of defenses going under screens against us. That's something that against both LeBron and Westbrook, that is less so LeBron. LeBron is more dangerous to hit that that pull-up three if you go under. But of all of the options, LeBron taking a pull-up jumper in a ball screen situation is similar to uh, – you're going to defend that as, in a similar way with Russell Westbrook. That's part of the reason why I think Kendrick Nunn is a nice partner with both of those guys, a kind of, kind of a connecting piece between those two offensively because Nunn is really good against those drop coverages, can hit those elbow pull-ups. But Mike, the – the scenario that I'm envisioning is it's a close game. There's five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's an important game. All three of our stars are on the floor at the same time. We can very clearly imagine what does LeBron do when Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis are working some two-man action. He can post up. He can spot up on the weak side. He can, you know, all sorts of versions of what LeBron can do. I'm curious, what does Russell Westbrook do 
on those plays inevitably when it's a half court situation and it's LeBron and AD or just LeBron posting up or just Anthony Davis posting up. What is some of the off ball value that Russ can bring to the table? I think the the non answer to this question is that the Lakers are going to like they're not they're not going to be at their best in these half court situations like that against the good teams that are just going to pack the paint and they're going to play defense. They're going to get in transition. You know, they're going to be more athletic than you. They're going to hit the glass, like all of that stuff, which, which we've seen before and Russ can add to that, but that is sort of the issue now. All right. Everybody's going to drop in. If, if that is the, if that's the lineup and you've got those three on the court and it's late in the game, then you at least know AD is probably at the five. So he can then be, like, like I, there's a couple different things you could do there, but one, I do kind of, I like this idea, this concept of Russ being the guy that's like kind of down in that dunker spot or just sort of off the ball and cutting to the rim, you know, when his guy, and, and even if you recognize him cutting to the rim, can you really stop him? Like the athlete that he is. So all of the stuff that's off the ball that he hasn't really done a lot of because he's usually been on the ball. Uh, in those situations, even when to an extent, when he was playing with James Harden, when he's playing with Bradley Beal, even with Kevin Durant, like he still had the basketball so often. But then the flip side of that, Darius, is that if he does have the basketball and LeBron or AD are in the action and you've got two shooters and they're still just going to switch and drop, then like, what are you really going to get out of those actions? And I don't I don't yet have a great answer uh, for that. And, and thus, thus my sort of hesitating. But. I know you've been thinking about this a lot. So how does how does that incorporate things for you with the way that Russ shoots and the way that if LeBron is not if, if LeBron's perimeter game isn't on either and AD's perimeter game is not in the bubble? You know what? Like, isn't there there's sort of an obvious way to play defense in the half court against the Lakers? Right. Yeah. I have a couple of ideas and these are rudimentary ideas. And so I expect the Lakers coaches <laughs> to be well more advanced than some of the things that I'm going to say right here, right? So let me just premise that here. But I do think that when Russ is off of the ball, the Lakers' efficiency as post-up players is going to be super important because the ability to threaten the paint against a compressed defense is easier from the post because a lot of times you're starting possessions closer to the basket in general, and you're not looking for a runway in order to get downhill versus a defense that has already collapsed. And one of the bigger things that the Lakers have loved to do in late game situations, whether it's with LeBron or whether it's with AD, is they go to the post a lot. And Russ's value as an off-ball player versus a post-up Versus Russ's off-ball value as a spot-up player when teams are in five-out situations, those are different propositions to me. Because the cutting and angles in which you can play and the way that the defense is compromised or the defensive alignment in order to try to stop a post-up is just different. And so I envision Russ being a much more active cutter and a much more active off-ball screener on the weak side in Lakers post-up possessions. And this is where scheme comes into play for me 
Pete, is last year, and Cran just talked about this a ton, but you talked about it a ton also on this pod, is that the Lakers did not put a lot of work and effort into their weak side actions and counters when they were running strong side post-up plays. And it was a point of emphasis that just seemed to have gone away. And and they did one or two different things. They would, you know, float guys up the wing in order to create different passing angles. And then they would sometimes cut strong side and then cut to, to the middle of the floor. But they didn't set nearly as many pin screens or flare screens. And they didn't do nearly as many weak side exchanges or a bunch of stuff that you can just do in order to try to occupy the defense. And so I think those two things need to play hand in hand to me is they need to drill that stuff very early in the preseason and in training camp. And they need Russ to buy into the fact that, look, man, we're going to post up LeBron. We're going to post up AD in these half court situations, especially when all three of you guys are on the court and AD is at the five. And when we do those things, you need to bust your ass and cut. You need to be aware and set these weak side flare screens. And we need to drill this stuff in the same way that you drill cutting back door when you're getting top block in the same right? Like these same sort of like, oh, the defense does this. We do that sort of thing. And I think that there are ways to mitigate some of the spacing stuff that comes with Russ as a shooter. But so I have some ideas, but you know, it's just like, I, I don't think they can play a bunch of five out and space Russ in the corner or space Russ at the, at like above the break and say, Hey, we're just going to beat you because the defense is going to sink. And then Russ is going to end up shooting an 18 foot pull up jumper. And that's a lot of what we saw in the Lakers series against Houston when Westbrook was with them is those stagnant stationary Russes standing on the weak side wing, uh, you know, as a spot up shooter, that's easy to help off of. That's easy to construct your defense around. And that's something that in the playoffs, the taking, taking attention off of Westbrook in the right times will absolutely be one of the ways that teams try to handle LeBron and AD. That said, I'm all aboard with Mike's dunker spot idea and just Westbrook as an interior presence in general. From a two-man game perspective, I'll get to the post-up stuff in a sec, but from a two-game man perspective, Russell Westbrook has never been on a team that has had a good two-man game, and he was not one of the two men involved in that in that action. Russ averages 1.7 offensive rebounds a game, which is just nuts for a guard. He is always active around the rim. And if you've got eyeballs on the strong side of the court and Russ is cutting, whether that's low side, he, he can cut, you know, underneath the basket behind and that's go up for a layup or dump it off, you know, one more pass that remember how we still use Lamar where we'd have that end game situations and it would be the great three man game of Kobe, Lamar and Powell. And it was so fun. And there were so many actions where Kobe drew extra attention. And as Mike properly put out, double teaming LeBron is not is a different idea than double teaming Kobe for sure. But this could be applied to Anthony Davis as well, where 
it was there were so many hockey assist situations where Kobe would get a hockey assist because he would draw to then get the ball to Lamar who'd dump it off to Powell or vice versa and we'd get a bucket out of that Westbrook very much fits that for me as well off of the ball he's also someone who I've loved watching this on tape when he is spotted up and teams like every team takes their help off of Westbrook to to double Bradley Beal or whomever else he is already getting a running head start as that ball's getting swung and so that ball reversal if you can get a ball reversal to Russell Westbrook with a head of steam which is something that he's gotten very good at the whole idea is this remember the NBA finals these, these ones that just happened with Phoenix and Milwaukee that series in particular devolved into it bore some resemblance to regular season basketball, but it was basically Milwaukee trying to physically overwhelm Phoenix every single time down the court on the offensive end. And you're right, Mike, there's no way around this. This we are not, if we're in a half court jump shooting game, we are not going to be favored against the better teams in the NBA. The hard part is going to be getting us into those types of games. And I think that's the trick. This is a weakness, no matter any way that you slice it is our, our jump shooting, at least from our star players. It's a matter of how big of a weakness is it and what can we do to mitigate it. And I think there's things that you can do with Russ uh, to that end. And totally. And, and this is also where this is kind of back to my shooting is overrated part of it, because if Westbrook and LeBron and AD just decide whether it's in a game or a playoff series or a quarter or even a two minute stretch that, hey, like we're getting to the rim. You can stack all the defense that you want in there, but all three of those guys can do that. And that's a that's a, that's another point where I, the X's and O's part of it. You guys are great at it. The Laker coaching staff is going to be greater at it and they can do all that that they want. But like it's still going to come down to, I think, over the course of a game, over the course of a series and they'll lose certain nights. But it's still going to come down to that force that they have going to the basket. And that and that's where like we're talking about shooting. But the object of the of the game on the offensive side is to score, not to shoot, not to be the best shooter. It's to score. And this is why I always get annoyed when LeBron is not talked about in sort of like the best scores of all time thing. Cause we don't think of, we don't think of the fact that he's just at the rim dunking or laying the ball in as it's not quite as, as sexy as the way that Durant scores sometimes or Steph Curry scores or Kobe even scored. But Hey man, he averaged the same career points as those guys. And, and that's part of where Russ is too. And it's why, again, I, I wanted to point to the, how many times he gets to the rim part of it. Cause Ultimately, there is. Yeah, we, we know what his weaknesses are. They're not going to change a ton. They might change some because of the personnel around him and because of the focus. But let's let's just try to maximize all of that pressure that he puts on a defense, whether and, and we'll continue to go over the different ways that he does that. So how much shooting does he need to provide, Mike? Like this isn't is a weakness, but like how much does it matter to what degree? Yes. Um, I, I, so I don't I don't want to get into that into a thing where he's got the ball right on the perimeter and he's looking around and just trying to get the ball back to LeBron and just loses that aggression. Like I actually do want him shooting some, you know, yes. and whether it's threes or that, I think there was a stat I saw the other day and it had, who was the leading scorer in the NBA from every different distance. And Westbrook was the leader from 18 to 20 feet. You know, obviously Dame was the leader, uh, uh, like 35 feet and out. I think Dame had actually the, the, the two furthest ones. Then Steph was the one right around the three-point line. 
and on and on down you go. But so like Russ that and that Pete, a lot of that does come in transition. And a lot of that comes because he's grabbing the rebound, pushing out. And that's his little, he loves that little pull up shot. He's pretty good at it. And that's the one where like any kind of fast point guard that grew up playing basketball, that's the shot that you, that you're, that's available to you as a point guard running down the floor where the defense is kind of sprinting to get back and you just kind of stop on a dime. And it's more of a guide shot than it is a pure shot, you know? And, and so that one, I think that's the one that is going to be there the most, but yeah, in terms of, I just I'm thinking about him some ways somewhat in the way that I was thinking about Rondo where you're leaving him alone he's going to bang a couple of them and when he does it feels like extra bad on the defense <laughs> you know yes and it and it's just like like if he cuz those nights that he and he he will have nights those nights that he is hitting a few threes it's a little bit like Caruso it's like you're you're done you're toast Mike when he's throwing up the three fingers and then next <laughs> yeah. possession he he bumps you and gets a layup and he rocks the baby and then on the next possession he flashes into the middle of the court and then basically throws sort of uh what is sort of a no look pass but he's really looking right but he like put some extra sauce and then AD gets gets a dunk staples is going to blow the roof off, right? It, it's it's going to be so fun next be, year, man. There's going to yeah. be incredible energy when he's at his best. This is well. This is where I was. I've been thinking about the schedule a lot lately, and the, how soft it is early, right? And the, so the Lakers have 12, their, 12 of their first team games at home, first fifteen games at home, and basically four of those are against teams that were playoff teams last year. Now it's actually three, but I'm counting Golden State and. Like they get Houston twice, they get OKC. So they, I think it's a really nice runway for Russ to get going some and to, to on the first possession to, he's going to, before the, after the opening tip, he's going to sprint over to the corner of Staples Center and he's going to have that place rocking even before opening tip against Golden State. And then the whole, this is the whole thing for me though, Pete, like if he misses his first several shots, I, I just, I don't want people to start thinking about like, the way they would react when KCP would miss the first couple of shots where it's like, we have to realize that he's going to miss shots, but it, it, it won't limit his energy and what he will do. Sure. He's going to keep shooting some, but then he's going to get the basketball. He's going to rebound it and he's going to sprint down and get to the rim. And so that's the thing where he's always like Russ in a shooting slump. Sure. It can happen, but he's, he's always going to go to the rim so much. And he, it, that like that is going to mitigate to me even the nights that he has that are shooting from the perimeter where where you're just not getting anything from that guy. He's such an impactful player in so many ways beyond his scoring and shooting ability. the The thing that come the thing that the reason why though that this is like a full pod for us is because the shooting stuff shows up in all of these other different ways that require schematic adjustments and they require a certain baseline of talent around him in order to compensate and uplift him in the ways that he can't do for himself. And that's what team building is. That's what championship contenders do is they – I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen a perfect basketball team. I've seen teams that are close, but I've never seen a perfect one. And maybe people who are older than my old ass, they've seen a perfect one. But but I'm 
betting they haven't too, right? And and so at some point, the Lakers are going to be butting their heads against the wall a little bit because some of their players are flawed and compensating for those flaws is going to be difficult. And we're spending an entire pod on one of Russell Westbrook's flaws that over the course of the last few seasons has probably been looked at as a fatal flaw. It's been one of the reasons why his teams cannot win. And if you're down on the Lakers this season, or if you're down on the Westbrook acquisition, that's probably the chief reason why. My thing is, and Pete, you spoke to this earlier, is that Russ has never played on a team where the the two other star guys are so clearly like top, top, top level dudes, right? And that idea of, oh, we can have a two-man game and you're not one of the two guys. And that's probably one of the best things that you can do on, on the basketball court. That's going to be... I don't want to call it a reality check because that makes it seem like it's like being disrespectful to Russ. And I don't want to frame it that way, but it's going to be, I think, eye-opening to him in the ways that the team can be effective without him having to do so much. And one of the things I might be worried about is, is he actually going to take his foot off the gas a little bit more than what he normally would in order to compensate early on? in the season and that idea of is he going to remain as aggressive is he going to play balls to the wall the way that Westbrook always has right and I would be looking out for that more at the beginning of the season than looking out for the guy who can't stop shooting pull up 20 footers right and so that Mike so when you said it earlier like you know I want him shooting some He's got to have that mentality, too. It's just like, look, man, like I can't come here and just defer to LeBron James and and Anthony Davis. I got to play my game. And I'm hoping that in the beginning parts of the season, we we will see growing pains. But I hope they get over those pretty quickly and that they're able to sort of find their confidence level of playing together, because at that point, then I think things will start to flow in a way that's going to work out for this team. Yeah, this has two aspects to it to me is the mentality of it and then the execution. And I do believe that the mentality is there, right? These guys have all signed up to like they're all on the same page. They want to do this together and go for this title together. And they know some of the sacrifice that's been the big word that they've discussed. Now, that's great. That's the starting place that can allow for the actual execution to happen. And the value of the regular season in this respect is that it's a testing ground. When are those times when he does need to take the three, when he does need to take those shots and not defer versus when are the times where he does need to move the ball to the other guy when there's 18 seconds left on the shot clock? What are the places where he can provide value off of the ball on a LeBron James and Anthony Davis action, or even one or the other in the post in ways where the defense cannot take attention from him, but they actually have to account for him too. And I think there's ways to do that, but figuring out the where and when, and then the timing of that within that is going to be a big part, I think of the regular season. And I think that having that soft start to begin the season is a a nice runway as Mike put it. So uh, this was fun. I I really like getting into both the strengths and weaknesses of Westbrook game tomorrow we're going to continue with that on the next episode of the laker film room podcast james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy 
Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's in. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.